Good morning. I'm Pastor Darren Lindemann. I'm on staff here at Holy Word Pflugerville as one of the three pastors, and I focus on the Pflugerville campus as campus pastor there, but it's good to be here today. I'm preaching at both sites, and pleasure to be with you. I had a problem with my honeydew list this last week. Um, there wasn't enough dew on the honeydew list, but that wasn't the problem. The real problem was there wasn't enough honey. Here's the story. My wife and I have a skylight in our master bathroom that brings in natural light so we don't have to turn the lights on, and uh, that skylight is leaking, and it drips on the floor so much when it rains that we have to put a bowl there, otherwise we get a really big puddle on the tile in the master bathroom floor. So that's a project, and it's been on the honeydew list for almost three years. So when this last week, when my wife Kara asked me, you know, she just wanted to understand why it wasn't being done, she kind of had a right to ask that because it's been on the list for so long. And so she just said, I want to understand why it's not happening. And so I helped her understand. I explained to her how the honeydew list works and that there are projects that are prioritized on the list. And this skylight project, well, it has never really made it to the top of the priority list. And here's why. The water that comes through this little tunnel drops through the tunnel and right onto our floor. It doesn't go into any wood or drywall. It's not causing any damage in our home. It's cosmetic only. Where we have other things, we have a a corner of our roof where the gutters aren't right or there's flashing or something that needs to go on there and there's water dripping behind the gutter into wood and you can see the wood rotting before your very eyes. Well, that's an example of a project that's important and there's other projects that are more important. And so I explained this all to her, how the order of the honeydew list works and she, she looked confused and honestly, she looked very hurt. I hurt her feelings when I explained it, and I was just trying to help her understand. So I had to take a step back in this misunderstanding and do what we should do when there's a misunderstanding and first start in your own heart and ask if your own assumptions are right. And so I stepped back. I I prayed about it for a day. I thought about my understanding, and I had the answer to my prayer a day later. Here it is. I thought she wanted me to help her understand all the technical details of how the honeydew list works and what goes on what priority. She wanted me to understand that it should be important to me because it's important to her. So men, right, we look at the honeydew list like this this ordered list of projects and our wives... Don't see it as a a list of things to be done. They see it as a relationship of love. So that's how I'm going to look at my honeydew list from now on, or at least I'll try. And you should too, men. So this Sunday we launched a series called I Believe, and that scenario in my home this last week reminded me of what we want to explore in this series about our God. And what we mean when we say, I believe. See, in in the church circles that we hang out in and that I'm familiar with, when someone in my church circles is asked, well, what do you believe? They'll typically respond by giving this ordered list of, of items, of teachings, and you sum it up all in one word. It's the name of your 
your brand of religion, your denomination. You say, well, I'm Lutheran. There you go. That's my faith. Or maybe if we want to introduce someone to what we believe, we'll bring them to church on Sunday, and then we give them, right, exposure to this order of service, this, this ordered list of things that happen that are important to us and our God, and, and there's order. Or in Especially in Lutheran circles, people will use 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40 as like the Magna Carta of religion. And you can quick look that up in your Bible or your app right now. Um, you can do that. It's going to take you 10 seconds. But in 10 seconds, we're going to tell you what it says. Um, but 1 Corinthians 14, 40, we, I've seen it used where there's disagreements in meetings, how we should organize our ministry, our budget, where the potluck items should go, on which table, uh, which people should serve in which position. And it says we should do everything in a fitting and orderly way. See, we just love that order thing, like a to-do list. And so our challenge for today and for this series is something called dead orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is a good thing. Orthodoxy means the right teaching. We want to have the right teaching as the basis for our faith. That's a good thing. Dead orthodoxy is when what becomes most important is being right in my doctrine. And that replaces the relationship with God that he he wants to have with me. See, there's a point to the doctrine. It's not the doctrine. It's relating to God. So dead orthodoxy is having the right teaching, but the wrong understanding of that teaching. Think of the Pharisees during Jesus' day, all right? These men knew their scriptures like nobody else, and they knew the right list of teachings and and the laws. They even hung out with the elders and the teachers of the law. And how often Jesus had to correct their thinking because they had the right teaching but the wrong understanding. For them, it was about being right. And Jesus wanted to present God to them as someone who wanted a relationship with them. And so he told them parables about um, the man who's invited to a a banquet and he sits at the head of the table because he thinks he knows everything and knows the order of the list of who's sitting where. And then what happens? The master of ceremonies has to come to him and say, excuse me, sir, you're not at the head of the table. You're at the foot of the table. Right? He told the Pharisees, when you make a convert to your brand of religion, you make them twice as much a son of hell as you are. And he called them blind guides and whitewashed tombs. That's dead orthodoxy. And it happens in this church, in these hearts. And when we think that it can't or won't, well, that's probably a pretty good sign that it's already happening. What I want I believe to mean for me and for you is that my faith is about nothing less than the right doctrine, but so much more. That, that when we say I believe, we're really saying God I love you. 
I love you so much, God, for who you are and what you give to me, and I want to make you more a part of my life, a part of everything, every decision, everything I say or think or do everywhere I go, every relationship, God, I want you as part of it. I want you top priority, always. Now, here's what Ephesians 1 says. We're going to cover this in three parts today for the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 says this, before you even think about saying that, I believe, God, I love you, right? Before you even think about going there, before you even can tell anyone that you have a relationship with God, God informs the world first, before that, that he has a relationship with you. And that when we say, I believe, I believe is not a response to me. It's not a response to something I need. It's not a response to something I discover. It's not a response to any circumstance, whatever, what other people want me to think or do. It's not a response to anything it, there. I believe is a response to God for God's love to me. So we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, it's going to be projected here as, as part of the sermon, and I'm going to break it up into three parts and read those three parts to you. And we're going to discover what God really thinks of us. Um, I want to transition to that by mentioning a couple quotes from a C.S. Lewis sermon um, that I read about this last week. It was very interesting. It had much to do with Ephesians chapter 1. There's a lot of glory of God and praise of God and God's grace in Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, C.S. Lewis covers this in, in something that he wrote in a sermon that he delivered in 1941, 75 years ago in June, actually. And so one of the things that he mentions that's mentioned here in Ephesians chapter 1 is how God talks out about you and tells others about you and, and is pleased with you and, and actually praises you as his child. If God were writing a Yelp review about you, he would type... Um, well done, good, faithful. I really love him or her. That's what he would say. So, C.S. Lewis says this. This is what he says. No one can enter heaven except as a child. All right, that's referring to Jesus' words that talk about a childlike faith. So adults, young, old people, any age, enter heaven. What he means here is having a childlike faith that Jesus talks about in the Gospels. And nothing is so obvious in a good and humble child as his great pleasure in being praised, right? Good job, little Billy, right? Kids love it when teachers say that, parents say that. Can we not detect in our experience a very, very short moment when this satisfaction of having pleased those whom we rightly love and fear was pure? And if that is the case, can we, cont we can contemplate the redeemed soul learning that it has pleased God. So your childlike faith wants to please God because God is first pleased with you. And your childlike faith wants to praise God because God first praises you. Lewis goes on to describe God's glory as fame. Not in the sense of approval from fellow creatures on the same level, but in receiving a good report or appreciation or approval by God. Well done, good and faithful servant. To please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father in a son, 
All of this, it seems impossible. A weight or burden of glory, which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. That's our incomprehensible God whom we can't understand. Not just not understanding his nature, but not understanding how can he love us so much? How can he be so faithful to us? So you might be thinking I'm a crazy preacher for saying that God is pleased with you because it's so hard for you to even please your parents or your boss or your spouse. And you might be thinking I'm a crazy preacher by saying that God praises you because there's so many other good Christians, better than super Christians out there who should get God's praise, not you. But I ain't no crazy preacher because I'm just telling you what Ephesians 1 says. And Ephesians 1 says that God is pleased with you and that he praises you. It says it right there. And so let's take a look at this. Let's let Ephesians 1 speak to us. Let's behold God and his glory like Moses did with our eyes of faith and our hearts filled with holiness that God gives us, filled with his glory, and let's, let's see God's glory and understand that God's glory has as much to do with us as it has to do with him. And that our faith has as much to do with God as it has to do with us. That's where Ephesians 1 draws us in. Uh, As people of this world, so one more thing before we look at Ephesians 1, verse 3. As people of this world, we are, um, whether we're Christians or not, we're the same as any unbeliever as far as having a worldly human nature in us. And it remains in us even when we become Christian. We don't lose that nature. We have it. Unbelievers have it. We just fight it with the new spiritual holy nature. But we still have that. So as people of this world... We are too often and too easily attracted to putting our hope in or defining ourselves by the things of this world. People of this world, things of this world. It's like a gravity that pulls us into the world's way of thinking. Secure finances, right? feeling a- approval from friends or family, trendy fashions, how we look or feel. All of those are earthly blessings from God but they, they want us to worship them. And so we give them our worship and our trust. We give them our time and our attention and our money. And God says, hold on, those things don't save you. I'm just giving them to you to enjoy. But we don't believe that. We actually believe in them. And then the worst part is those earthly blessings get in the way of us enjoying spiritual blessings from God who wants to bless us, but they're in the way. Our hands are so full of earthly stuff, we can't hold anymore that God wants to give us. And then God gets jealous of what we worship in this world. And now Ephesians chapter 1, here's why. So Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 3, tells us about this God who gets jealous and wants our love. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're talking about God the Father here. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship 
through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So your heavenly father is like any father. He wants to be a provider. He wants to provide for you. And God, your heavenly father, his ultimate providing for you is in the heavenly realms. That doesn't mean physically in heaven. It means it's a spiritual thing. And he goes on to say that, that uh, it's every spiritual blessing in Christ that God has for you. Not just a few, not just a lot, but every spiritual blessing. If there is a spiritual blessing that exists, God is giving it to you and he wants you to enjoy it. Now, here's why he does this. Because it says he chose you And the timing here is important of when God chose you. Before God chose the size of the mountains, before he chose the complexity of the atom or the color of the sunset or the leaves on the trees, before he chose any of that, he chose you first. And he predestined you. That's the word in Ephesians there. He predestined you so that your destiny would play out to become his child by faith. And then he looks at you like parents tend to look at their children, like they're little angels. You know, so God looks at you and he sees you as holy and blameless in his sight. Now, was there something way back in eternity that God, because he can see into eternity, see into the future, was there something in you that he saw that it was so good, it was so awesome spiritually that he said, wow, that's like a superhero person. I have to have them as my child. No. As a matter of fact, the opposite is really true. From eternity, God could foresee that you would sin against him and that you would hurt him and that you would be unfaithful to him and that you wouldn't love him as much as he wants you to love him and that you wouldn't give him attention as much as he wants your attention. He saw all that. Yet, he freely chose to say, I still want you as my child. That's grace. That's what this is talking about. So praise the Father for his grace. And that means appreciate and use all of his blessings to you, his earthly blessings and his his spiritual blessings, because all of them are meant to bring you closer to him and for you to enjoy his world and his spiritual blessings to you. You remember when you were a teenager and uh, it was cool for you to be embarrassed about your parents in public? So, um, teens, I want to talk to you. In middle school, if you're in middle school, you're becoming a teenager, I want to tell you something. Listen closely. Two things. One, your parents love you very much, and they love you in ways that you don't understand or know and will never understand or know, but they, they love you that much. That's a fact. Fact number two, your friends think that that's cool. Your friends think that it's cool to be loved by a parent because some of them don't really have that experience or they do have that experience and they realize how important, how awesome it is. Okay, so if you're a teen, middle school, the next time you're in public and mom comes up to you and she wants to give you a kiss or a hug in public or she wants to fluff your hair 
or spit on her finger and wipe your face, you know, let her do it. And then your friends are going to see that and you turn to your friends and you say, my mom loves me. And they'll be so jealous. They'll think that's so cool. Believe me, in their hearts they will. They might not act like it, but they will. All right, so Jesus came to this earth and the way that he shows us the Father's love is that he says to us and, and acts out for us, my Father loves me. And here's how he does it. These next verses in Ephesians. So these are on page 7 in your worship folder, also projected. These words about Jesus. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So redemption, that means Jesus paid the wages of justice that God demanded for all of your sins. And because he paid that, now God can forgive you. Keep going. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. God's grace is so rich and he lavishes it in such a luxurious way that that it covers all of your sins. It forgives you for everything. It forgives you for things you can't forgive yourself for. It forgives you where others can't forgive you. It forgives you for for everything. That's how rich it is. Okay, keep going. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. We want understanding. We want knowledge. Right? When you're lying on your back in the hospital room and the doctors don't have any conclusive answers, the thing that we struggle with the most is not being sick, but, not, but we struggle with not knowing what's going on. Uh, if you have children and they're getting married and you want to know when are there going to be grandbabies and how many? Right? We want that knowledge, right? You're, you're not sure what upper management is doing at work. There might be a merger or a split and it might affect your career. We, we, we need to know this. You know why need, we need to know all that? Because we want to control it. We're controlling people. We want to do it our way. So this is saying right here, God in his own wisdom and understanding makes salvation a mystery for us. And his interaction with us, his relationship with us, sometimes he's going to keep you in the dark so that you have to say, I don't get it. What's happening here? I can't, I can't, I don't have anything to control. God's exactly. And he wants you to come to him and enjoy this mystery of his relationship with you. And it's not so much an ordered list but a mysterious relationship of love. That's what this is all saying. (laughs) Final part, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen. Now he's using this chosen language again. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. So this talks about God's plan and purpose for you. People talk about God's plans for them all the time without direct knowledge that that's exactly God's plan. Um, We just be careful there, all right? When, when I hear people say, oh, I, my shopping cart fell over at Target and all my eggs spilled all over the floor, but I guess that was God's plan for my day. How do you know that? 
Just because things happen don't mean they are God's plan. Actually, God's plans and purposes for you are so much more glorious and so much more distinctive for you and grandiose than eggs falling on target floor. And here, this is where they are. Here's his plans. That every one of your dreams or desires or decisions, that every time your heart beats or you breathe, every one of those things would be under Christ, it says. That, that Christ would lead every one of those things. That your shopping trip at Target would be led by Christ. And that, what does that mean? It has less to do with eggs falling on the floor and more to do with you and your attitude and your appreciation of God's blessings and your faith in him. That's where God is leading. And you can hope in Christ in everything because he's in everything and for everything. And you can praise the son for his sacrifice. That he's done the work. He doesn't leave you to do any of the work to get right with God. And that you're shopping at Target and the eggs fall on the floor and you can say, okay, but I'm right with God. I'm no less in God's favor for tipping my shopping cart over. That's God's plan and purpose for you. Number three, the Holy Spirit loves you and he shows you that by making you his prized possession. It is, he owns you. So when God looks at this hallway in heaven and he's, he's decorating it and he's thinking, what picture should go up in this hallway? Or he's uh, designing his profile page and deciding, okay, this picture goes on my profile page and it's of me with someone else. Who should that person be? You know who he decides? You. That's what this is saying. That that God includes you, and not only that, he owns you. He chooses you in that way. So this last part of Ephesians 1. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When you believe, things happen. When you believe, God penetrates your pride, your anger, your fear, your anxiety. God penetrates your despair and your shame and your sin. He penetrates your past and your present and your future and he gets in there and then he owns it. You, you own none of that and he owns it all. And it doesn't own you either. Praise the Spirit for his ownership. He has take pos- taken possession of you. He lives in you. He calls you his temple. And so when he has to write his address on a form, he writes you because that's where he lives. And he owns it all. Praise him for that and live in faith. That's three. I'm done. Three persons of the Trinity, three parts in Ephesians chapter one. So now I want to ask you some questions. Make sure you're still awake here. Here we go. Do you know and love the Father? who provides for you, especially with every spiritual blessing by his grace to bring you closer to him? If so, then say, I believe. Do you know and love 
the Son, whose sacrifice means that you are already approved by God, then say, I believe. And you know and love the Holy Spirit, whose ownership of you means that your circumstances can never, ever control you, then say, I believe. All right, Pastor Dan, I believe them when they say that, and God believes them too. Amen.